This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, the podcast about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, I'll be sharing information with you on techniques, history, gear, and philosophies, as well as Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara USA, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It is only possible we create content such as this podcast and all the videos that we create because of your support, so we thank you so very much for purchasing Tenkara USA rods, lines, and flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Tenkara Cast. Today I'm very honored to be speaking to an old friend, Chris Hunt. We haven't talked in quite a while, but I reached out to him to try to learn a little bit more about uh, the Tenkara fishing opportunities in Idaho. And Chris is also with uh, Trout Unlimited, so he's you know, in the communications department of Trout Unlimited doing the social media, but he's also the author of, uh, what is it called, Chris? Secret Waters of Idaho? Is that... Uh, yeah, I, I've got a couple out that have come out in the last few years. One is the Fly Fishing Idaho Secret Waters, and then I just last year had a book published on um, kind of a species-specific guide to fly fishing in uh, Yellowstone, which is just up the road from me. Somehow I missed that. I'll make sure to put those on uh, on our podcast page at encariosea.com forward slash podcast. I'll make sure to link up to both of your books. But uh, Chris has also been Tenkara fishing for quite some time. So he's got this experience and some of my, some of the like uh, cutting edge Tenkara fishing early <laughs> on where he caught pike and salmon. So let's talk a little bit about that and then we can get into Idaho. How, uh, how long has it been since you first used a Tenkara rod, Chris? Oh my gosh, I bet it's been over 10 years. Um, in fact, I, I would I would imagine it's been closer to 12 or 15 years when I first started doing it. And and I, uh, you know, a lot of it, Daniel, was thanks to you and Tenkara USA um, kind of pushing me into the discipline. Um, and I actually, I, I really love Tenkara fishing. There are instances where I honestly believe it is more effective than traditional angling or and and even traditional fly fishing in some, some instances. Um, but what I really found that interested me most about Tenkara fly fishing was uh, being able to introduce my kids to uh, the outdoors and to the rivers and streams here in Eastern Idaho, um, because the Tenkara rod was so much easier um, for them to pick up and um, kind of become adept with it. And, you know, my daughter, for instance, she really started fly fishing with a Tenkara rod and kind of moved over to traditional fly fishing, but has since probably uh, done more Tenkara than traditional fly fishing. And she actually lives and works over in Grand Teton National Park about two hours from here. And she fishes the park with a Tenkara rod all the time. So... Yeah. Um, so how so you introduced your kids to to fly fishing through Tenkara at some point ago, but she's now working, so I'm assuming she's an adult woman. Uh, so... <laughs> she is. Yeah, she's all grown up and out of the house. And my my son is actually over there in Teton Park with her as well for his first year working over there, and he's got his Tenkara rod with him. Nice. Oh, that's great. So when did you uh, get your kids hooked into Tenkara? 
How old were they? Shortly after I started. Um, I mean, I started and then, I don't know, uh, I was a bit younger back then. You know, I'm 51 now. I was probably in my my late 30s. And I started using Tinkara and then I started, started trying to figure out, okay, what can I do with a Tinkara rod that um, nobody else is doing? And I, I don't know if I was one of the first or, or the first, but I did catch and land a northern pike on Tenkara off a boat in Lake Athabasca in, in uh, Saskatchewan. And then on that same trip, there's a unique run of lake trout that actually runs up some of the rivers and streams that flow into the lake. Mm-hmm. And I caught an eight-pound lake trout on Tenkara, much to the surprise of the guide who was there. He kept telling, trying to tell me that I was fishing for a whitefish, and I'm like, this is not a whitefish. <laughs> um, but it was fun, and it was exciting, and it was kind of, pushing some of those earlier Tenkara USA rods to their limit. Um, the guy I was fishing with eventually hooked a really big pike, probably 36 inches, and uh, it just pulled the lily on off the end of the rod, and it pulled it so tight that we couldn't get it to fold back down. And and then we just kind of put them down and, you know, said, okay, I think we figured out where the limit is with pike. <laughs> but... Um, we really had a great time kind of, and I, of course I fished on that same trip. I fished and caught a lot of grayling um, on that trip. And then over the years, of course, here in Idaho, we have native cutthroats. We have brookies, browns, rainbows, whitefish, uh, you name it, we've got it. Um, I've caught a couple smallmouth bass in the Snake River off of Tinkara. Um, I've yet to land my first Tinkara carp. I, he- I hear it can be done. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> the carp I've been fishing for here in Idaho are, you know, between 10 and 25 pounds. So I'm not sure. Oh, uh, yeah, those are hard. <laughs> especially especially on foot, you know. So, yeah. so we'll see. I, I think, <laughs> think that will be hard. I, I have caught some carp, you know, sm- much smaller than that. But I, I did have an experience where one time I decided to take a stand-up paddleboard to a lake. And I... Uh, threw a fly in front of, or, you know, by a carp, and I started pulling the fly back, and for a microsecond, I hooked a carp on the tail. Oh. And I just had this vision of, like, just going into the water so hard, and uh, <laughs> my heart my, my heart jumped, and I had this vision of just kind of being dragged, but uh, luckily the, the, the hook came right off, which was, yeah, I can't imagine what would have happened. That might have been, like, a good 15-pound carp. <laughs> it's like, oh. it would have been a hard one. But maybe that's the trick. Maybe take a, a watercraft of some sort and get dragged around for a bit. <laughs> well, I think that would be, you'd have to be on a boat or you'd have to be able to be mobile. Um, because even if, you know, you can follow, you know, the old Craig Matthews method, which is just drop the rod in the water and then run down the stream where it pops back up, you can pick it up again. But with carp in a lake, who knows? You know, exactly. it's like Jaws pulling under that big yellow barrel and maybe it comes up again. Maybe it doesn't. You never know. Oh, totally. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> and that's one technique I uh, I always I haven't done that in, uh, since I started Tenkata. But I, I always tell people somebody's trying to sell you more Tenkata rods because <laughs> I, I don't think that should really be done. It's, it'll be a, you know, there's a good chance you might lose the rod, especially in a big lake. <laughs> well, I think that, you know. The applications for Tenkara are, are varied and many, but for really what Tenkara was initially made for all those centuries ago in Japan, today it still meets those requirements. And like I said earlier, I think that 
it can be as or more effective than any other kind of angling, particularly if you're in smallish water and you're you're able to um, you know, you're able to control the line much easier. I love the fact that with Tenkara, you can have nothing on the water except the fly. I absolutely love that. And I, I noticed too fishing, um, and you, and you know Tom Sadler in Virginia, Daniel. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Tom and I one year. This was years ago. I guess it was probably ten or twelve years ago. We fished the the Rapidan, and I realized then and there that Tinkara not only gave me the flexibility that I I liked on small water like that, but it gave me longer drifts because I could with just switching the rod over to my left hand. Suddenly I was ambidextrous and. I love that. So, like I said, I I just think in the instances where it was designed to work well, it really does work well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's always been my focus. And it's also part of the reason I wanted to talk to you about Idaho, because there's so many good mountain stream, you know, fishing. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where Tenkata originated. That's kind of what it's designed for. A lot of our customers play with all kinds of fish, but I think most of them are focused on those mountain streams. And, and if anybody's also making a trip to Idaho, they're going to be probably focused on those beautiful mountain streams along the Sawtooth Forest or, you know, the Teton uh, area. So there's like so much good variety of uh, those kinds of waters. Um, yeah, we're very lucky up here to have lots of public land and lots of um, lots of places to put a tenkara rod to good use. And and you know, considering the the times, it's also a great place to go to kind of get away from other people. And you can you can put your social distancing and responsible recreation practices to work uh, fishing with tenkara on these remote mountain streams where we have and we have plenty of them. Yeah. So before we get into the, you know, the lay of the land in Idaho and where people can go and the characteristics of the waters, um, wanted to ask you, like, since we are in the middle of this pandemic, the COVID, you know, how is the vibe over there? Like, are people kind of, do they feel like tourists can come by and fly fish there? Do they want them to wait? I mean, it's kind of this, we're in this weird limbo right now in the States where it's it depends on the area and people are starting to travel more but i'm not so sure it's appropriate i I wonder what your thoughts are on that it's a really good question and i mean it's the the answer is going to be somewhat nuanced so bear with me um idaho is um in the reopening it's in phase four of reopening our governor governor little had a four-phase reopening plan once we you know we all endured the the stay-at-home order um and we are like a lot of places seeing an uptick in covid cases because honestly i just think people were so exhausted of being stuck inside and not being able to be social that when those first two or three phases came up um they got a little cavalier um so you know, and it's interesting you say that because at TU, uh, Trout Unlimited, where I work as the digital editorial director, we've been engaged in this um, hashtag responsible recreation campaign. I'm not sure if you've seen that or heard of it, but, you know, we're, we're saying that it's okay to go fishing regardless of where you live. If you just adhere to a, a few simple rules, like, you know, maybe travel to the river by yourself rather than with someone you're not quarantining with wear a face covering when you're fishing 
within a rod's length of someone else and especially wear a face cover if you're on a boat with someone and then also you know cleanliness is important um, but one of the things that we recommend um, at least for the time being is to try to fish close to home um, mm-hmm. Idaho is for a lot of people it's a it's a destination place um, but I'll, I'll say this it, it it's probably wise if you don't live within a couple of hours of some great Idaho fishing destination that you try and wait it out. Maybe wait, maybe wait till next summer or later in the fall, mm-hmm. just because if, if you are, you're someone you're with, you know, might be a, an asymptomatic COVID carrier and you end up in a place like Riggins, Idaho or Driggs, Idaho, or, you know, some smaller community that really doesn't have the medical infrastructure, the healthcare infrastructure to handle an outbreak, it could, mm-hmm. it could really cause a problem. So, you know, the, the advice stands, you know, try and fish close to home, but, um, you know, hopefully we can archive this discussion and it will be much more appropriate for when the country is kind of fully open to travel. And that could be later this summer or it could be, you know, next year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm glad we touched on that. And, you know, like the last few podcast episodes uh, that I've done, I've been trying to focus, you know, like let's explore waters close to home. You know, there is so much good waters. And yes, Idaho is a good destination of fly fishing. But yeah, in general, also like avoiding those, you know, multi-day trips to anywhere outside for those very reasons. So yeah, thanks for sharing the information. And yeah, hopefully down the line, you know, we can... uh, (laughs) People, people can be like, what? What is COVID? You know, oh. <laughs> I, I, although I don't think we're going to forget it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love, to, I'd love to forget all about it, but it has been such a part of our lives now for, what, mm-hmm. four or five months. And, um, you know, Idaho has, does not have a giant number of cases. We're starting to test more. And that, of course, is revealing uh, the truth about COVID is that it's probably more insidious than we ever suspected. And uh, I'm glad we're testing more. I want to know more about how this disease is affecting my community. But um, it also gives folks like you or folks like your listeners who might want to come and visit an idea of what they're up against should they come and, and, and you know, come and go fishing. But I'll say this. I'm, I've been uh, within a couple of hours of home several times fishing, but it's always either been by myself or with someone that I am, you know, social or self-isolating with so that I'm not putting anyone else at risk. But um, it is a little, there is quite a bit of anxiety, you know, when you, like I have a little camper that I take with me and I had to go to the RV dump um, Sunday and I had to wait in line because there were so many people out RV camping and, um, you know, that's already a sketchy process. You're dealing with, you know, raw sewage and you're dealing with mm-hmm. things like that. And then you have to worry about this, this coronavirus thing. So it's the anxiety level in these smaller communities, I think is um, still pretty high. Folks don't want to see those, those, uh, you know, see that stuff come to their town if they don't have it yet, or if they just have a few, a few numbers of them. But um, so, you know, the, the simple answer is, you know, stay as close to home as you can. And when you're out there fishing, fish right, you know, fish within a rod's length of someone you're not social isolating with or self-isolating with. And, and if you're on a boat or a guided trip and man, I know that guides have really had it tough on this uh, during this pandemic, 
Um, but every guide out there should be wearing a face covering and so should their clients for the entirety of the, of the, uh, process. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those thoughts and, you know, responsible angling and, uh, yeah, good thing that, uh, the fly fishing community is very used to using those neck and face coverings. Hopefully that stays in place throughout the summer. Yeah. Right. I mean, most of us would wear a buff or a, a gator or something. Anyway, just protect ourselves from the sun, and now you're kind of getting a two-for-one out of those face coverings, so that's good. Exactly. So let's get into the, you know, the lay of the land for Idaho, you know, because it's a diverse state. There's a lot of different waters. Um, you know, I personally love the mountains of Idaho, and I was a little bit bummed because I was actually planning a little bit of a road trip, you know, in the beginning of the summer where I wanted to kind of hit some of the mountain regions, like starting the Teton, which I fished in the past before with Tenkara, uh, but not enough. And then I, you know, there, I was really interested in doing some backpacking, like along the Sawtooth and uh, White Cloud kind of mountain range over there. So there's, you know, so much cool stuff going on in the state. Um, why don't you tell us, maybe, can you give us a breakdown of like how Idaho, you know, like where you can find different types of waters and what are the you know the 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 attractive waters that people go there for like you know north south east west sure how would you describe the state yeah that's that's, that's that would be uh, that'd be great um you could probably divide Idaho into four separate regions you'd start with the you know North Idaho the Panhandle region then maybe you'd you'd come down to Central Idaho which is where you have your um, you know, your Salmon River country River of No Return Wilderness Sawtooth country um, then I would say you got kind of Southwest Idaho, which is like from say McCall South, you know, through Boise, Payette river country, South Fork of the Boise river country, Boise river itself. Um, several, uh, good trophy trout streams, but also the snake river, which in that corner of Idaho is really good for smallmouth bass, uh, and carp. If you want to put your mm -hmm. Tinkara rod to the test and then mm -hmm. southeast idaho which is kind of where i live i live in idaho falls i'm about um about two hours from yellowstone national park two hours from grand teton national park and from the west side of town on a clear day you can barely see the top of the grand teton so that's the wyoming essentially the wyoming border um and then farther southeast in idaho we have great fishing in rivers like the Blackfoot, the Portneuf, and the Bear. And, and there's lots of small backcountry streams that um, that migrate, in, or not migrate, but connect to those bigger rivers and fish from those bigger rivers migrate up those smaller streams. Mm -hmm. So those, that part like the you know maybe we can start close to your home i guess okay. you know where you're so when you're in idaho falls where do you tend to go fishing i mean is there like a particular direction that you kind of choose more often than not well um I'm, I'm really lucky i'm about 45 minutes away from the south fork of the snake river which is a trophy trout fishery i'm the same distance away from the henry's fork which is hallowed ground for trout anglers and um, both of those rivers are totally doable with uh, Tenkara, but um, for the sake of, you know, finding some of those out of the way, smaller streams, there are lots of little, little streams that flow into both rivers that are particularly good. I'll give you a couple of examples just to, you know, kind of 
tease you a little bit, but there's a little creek mm-hmm. up in Island Park, which runs into the Henry's Fork, which is one of my favorite places to fish. And it's not a huge secret, but it's called Moose Creek. And Moose Creek is full of wild brook trout and uh, wild rainbows. It also, in the fall, gets a run of kokanee salmon that come up out of Island Park, Island Park Reservoir. They run up the Henry's Fork, and then they, they actually spawn in Moose Creek. And it's a beautiful little trout stream. Um, kind of idyllic, flows through a, a, a lodgepole pine forest meadow. Um, chances are you'll see, uh, you know, moose and grouse, a good chance of seeing um, bears, both grizzly and black bears. So I would recommend bear spray. Um, that's a good one, kind of in the northern reaches of where I fish. And then um, to the immediate east of me, uh, we have great fishing in all the tributaries that run into the South Fork of the Snake. The nice thing about those fisheries is that um, a partnership with Fish and Game, Trout Unlimited, and um, and others, we've set up these um, these weirs that prevent rainbows that have found their way into the South Fork of the Snake from migrating up into those those native cutthroat streams. So you're seeing big river. Uh, cutthroats that are post-spawn by the time the stream is open and and they're you know 15 to 20 inches long in some instances so it's a great place to go to catch bigger fish in smaller water which is every tenkara angler's uh, dream and then to the south of me we have the um, well I should mention the Teton River and its tributaries um, is, is a little bit northeast of me. And it's a great fishery, too. It's a t- Access is a little tougher to the river itself, but there are a couple of tributaries that are definitely worth hitting. <coughs> the, sorry, I, think, yeah, I was curious about the Teton, like how, because I, you know, I spent a little bit of time on the National Park, you know, mm-hmm. front, and I didn't get a chance to really go in deep or uh, fish the Teton River itself, but how is it thinking about fishing along the Teton uh, since we're the te- right of the Of the three big rivers where I live, the Teton, the South Fork, and the Henry's Fork, the Teton would probably be the easiest to, to fish Tinkara. It's not as big. <clears throat> um, it's it's uh, very simple to read. You know, you're essentially casting to banks, um, some riffles, but the Teton is a, is a pretty straight shot <laughs> river that flows into the Henry's Fork. So um, <clears throat> I would, uh, I you know, the, the Teton is, is definitely worth a shot. Like I said, access is tough. If you have a guide or a boat of your own or even just a one-man uh, or one-person, uh, like a cataract or a pontoon boat, Totally, totally doable. Totally doable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing, like when you just mentioned, like some brook, brook trout and also the, the, the rainbow, um, let's talk a little bit about the fish. And actually, it just came back to me that uh, I don't know if you're still running it, but you at least used to have a blog called Eat More Brook Trout. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about the native trout in, uh, in Idaho or maybe at least in this, you know, the eastern part of it. And what's the relationship with the eat more brook trout uh thing that you yeah good you question that um it's it's still around i mean it's i've i've removed the url and I, essentially when i blog now i blog for trout unlimited i do some um freelance writing for some magazines and and, and things like that um but for the most part i, I blog for for tu so i kind of let the the old school block it's hard to hard to imagine that blocking is now old school 
but I've, I've sort of let it go go feral um sometimes i can go back and pull some content from it which is always nice but um it's eat more brook trout at blogspot.com i even got rid of the eat more brook trout.com url i just was, wasn't using it so i didn't pay for it um so in eastern idaho in fact in most of idaho save for um the salmon river country and then um that country in the in the on the western side of the state the native Salmonid is um, cutthroat trout, and we have we have three subspecies of cutthroats in Idaho. Um, in the north and in the central part of the state, it's the West Slope cutthroat, um, and then we have the Yellowstone cutthroat here in the eastern side, and then in the southeastern corner in the Bear River and Bear Lake drainages, we have the Bonneville cutthroat trout. Um, so. All, all three of those subspecies are very susceptible to the introduction of non-native fish, particularly rainbow trout, because rainbows and cutthroats spawn at similar times. They can mingle on the spawning reds, and the offspring is fertile. So it's a fertile hybrid that just continues to, you know, the cycle continues where you might have a, you know, a pure cutthroat spawning with a rainbow one year, and then the next year you've got a hybrid spawning with a pure cutthroat, and then next year you've got a you know, a hybrid spawning with a rainbow. I mean, it, it just, the cycle goes on and on. So fishing game and um, to their credit, is working really hard to keep rainbows out of the tributaries to the South Fork. The South Fork itself, um, the uh, fishing game asks anglers to catch and kill any rainbows. Um, no catch and release of mm. rainbows on the river itself. Now, you know, there are other rivers in the area where rainbows are more, um, a little bit more common, like the Henry's Fork. And, and uh, you know, certainly catch and release is the, the, the dominant ethic these days. And, and that counts for rainbows and brown trout on the Henry's Fork. Um, so to kind of get into why the brook trout thing, you know, started the eat more brook trout idea is... Brookies are really hard on those small waters that Tenkara anglers really love. In fact, you're, you know, you in, in Colorado, you deal with the same challenges we mm -hmm. deal with here in Idaho. Brookies are just, they're voracious. They have a life force that I truly admire. I love catching brook trout. I also love eating brook trout. Um, mm -hmm. But brookies spawn in the fall. And by the time the cutthroats are spawning in the spring, brook trout fry are already out and they have a they have kind of a, a biological head start if you will over cutthroats so when cutthroats hatch out you know, say they spawn in april may june um by the time those fry are out and about at you know at the end of july and into august the brook trout are probably two or three inches long in some instances and have a real advantage and what happens is brookies essentially take over. They don't they don't mingle on the spawning beds like they do with rainbows, but they just take over. And when brook trout take over, and you've all seen this, um, they stunt and they get really small to the point where a four or five inch fish is a spawning adult. And mm -hmm. as fun as that can be in a backcountry setting with a lightweight fly rod or a tenkara rod, um, imagine what it would be like if you had what was actually the fish that actually evolved there and is perfect for those conditions. You wouldn't have 
you know, you wouldn't catch 54 inch brook trout, but instead you might catch 10, 12 to 15 inch cutthroats. And that is what we're, when I, when I, when I, when I say eat more brook trout, that's what I'm talking about. No, absolutely. And it's a good call. Yes. And absolutely. It's the same thing in Colorado. Actually, I've watched it firsthand. One of the streams nearby here, they populated it or they planted some native cutthroat and I started catching them. I didn't realize they had been planted. I used to only catch brook trout there. All of a sudden I started catching cutthroat and then like within like one season, it kind of reverted back to just brook trout because the, during the summer, the cutthroat, you know, the fry out, but the water level is also very low. And brook trout seem to be totally fine with those low water levels. You know, you often catch them in these little tiny beaver ponds and that kind of thing. So, yeah, they're voracious and prolific. So it's, and it is the best eating, as you say. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, if you can find some that are big enough to eat, I would totally do it. Um, yeah. You know, and I think it's so hard in today's catch and release world for fly fishers of any of any stripe to kill a fish um but honestly in some instances it's absolutely the right thing to do absolutely the right thing to do yeah and i've done a podcast at least one uh where i talk about you know just my thoughts on the responsible eating and taking a fish because sometimes we think of catch and release as this only way to go this dogma and there's a lot of value to catch and release but i think in a responsible way, sometimes there's a lot more value in potentially keeping some fish, like in the case of brook trout, where, you know, like in Rock Mountain National Park here, they mm-hmm. want you to keep, uh, you know, I, th- I don't know if there's a bag limit. It used to be like 10, you know, brook trout, because they just want them, trying to get them out of there. Um, and it does nothing. But yeah, that's, I'll, I'll post a link uh, if anybody's listening to this and wants to learn about my thoughts on, on yeah. that. But I, I think they're very similar to Chris's as well, you know. So, <laughs> No, no native, prolific, you know, trout, places that you just don't see anglers and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, like, so you kind of went south a little bit for a moment before I interrupted you. Um, did you have something that you were going to point out about, you know, the fishing a little south of Idaho Falls? Um, oh, you know, there's the Blackfoot River, which the upper reaches of the Blackfoot River is a really, uh, really great trout fishery. Um uh, again, mostly cutthroats. Um, there are some some streams farther south, uh, tributaries to the Bear and the Portneuf that have brook trout. Um, and of course, where they have brook trout, they, they don't have much else. Um, but there's the, the Bear River itself is an amazing fishery. And, and for those of you who don't know much about the Bear River, it starts in the high Uinta Mountains of Utah, flows kind of north into Wyoming, cuts across the, the lower kind of, it's like a pizza pie slice of Idaho. And then it flows eventually into the Great Salt Lake. So it's actually the longest river in the world that does not flow into an ocean. Wow. I yeah. didn't know that. A little bit of trivia for you. And the Bear River is a great cutthroat fishery in spots. It's been pretty heavily developed and, and used over the, over the years. Um, but those fish in the bear are called Bonneville cutthroats, and um, they're very adaptable. They're they are able to adapt to high water temperatures, which is something uh, that's a bit unusual for cutthroats. A lot of cutthroats have to have a you know water temperature within a certain range, but the cutthroats in the Bear River have been 
documented it, you know, surviving and thriving in water temperatures well over 70 degrees, which is really warm for trout. Um, but that's so that's kind of this the eastern quadrant there of Idaho. And if you move to the for me to the north part of Idaho, the fastest way for me to get there is to actually drive through Montana rather than do a sort of a, an L-shaped drive through Idaho. And North Idaho is a different world altogether. It's a, a lot of it is an inland rainforest that connects with Northwest Montana and Southern British Columbia. And um, it's great lake fishing for uh, rainbows, kokanee. Um, there's even a, believe it or not, there's a king salmon run out of Lake Coeur d'Alene that goes up some of the rivers there. Um, the St. Mary's River is in North Idaho and the St. Joe River is also in the, in North Idaho. So is the uh, Selway and the Locksaw. All of those are excellent cutthroat trout streams. And in their more remote reaches, there are some really big fish, um, you know, 18, 20 inch cutthroat, sometimes even bigger. And on a Tinkara, they're, they're great fun. Um, North Idaho is also home to bull trout, which is our native char. It's a relative of the brook trout, the Arctic char, um, Dolly Varden. It's sort of our answer to that to those fish. And bull trout get really big, and they are they are found in the Salmon River drainage uh, north, <clears throat> north generally speaking. Um, bull trout are protected as as well, right? They are protected. You can you can fish for them in Idaho, but you must release them. In other states, you can't even target them. Like Montana, it's there's only one or two places you can go to target bull trout. But in Idaho, you can fish for bull trout. You just cannot keep them in any way, shape, or form. And bull trout, I don't know if you guys know this, but bull trout get really big. You know, it's not unusual to see a 24, 26, 28-inch bull trout. Um, and they are voracious. They look, they look exactly like you would expect them to look. They look mean and hungry all the time. And... On Tenkara, I've I've caught small bull trout on Tenkara, um, you know, 10, 12 inches. I've never caught a really big bull trout on Tenkara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I actually remember there's a, uh, <coughs> a, a website called Backpacking Light. Uh, you know, Ryan Jordan was the guy that created that. He was one of the pioneers of content on backpacking, ultralight backpacking, but also pack rafting. And yeah. I think he talked about uh, catching bull trout on Tenkara. And if I remember right, he said that it's kind of like uh, lassoing a bull with dental floss. <laughs> <you know? laughs> so yeah, he has caught some of the big stuff, but it's, uh, yeah, I can only imagine what that fight would be like. Yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. I, um, I have uh, fishing in um, a little tiny tributary to the Salmon River. Uh, above the town of Riggins, I did catch uh, about a 20, 22 and a half inch bull trout on a, on a two weight fly rod, which was quite the rodeo. Um, I was actually fishing for little red bands, which is the other native salmon in Idaho, the red band, which is a rainbow trout subspecies. And a lot of people, uh, especially in the biology and the science communities, um, understand that red bands are likely uh, steelhead that um, just chose to stay home rather than travel to the ocean. 
Interesting, because there's the Red Band Trout in the Sierra um, Nevada too. Like I used to when I used to go tenkara fishing early on in Sierra. There is uh, the Red Band in the uh-huh. Cloud River in Northern California. I wonder if they have any relationship because that's closer to the ocean too. Same, yeah, same general idea. And and Oregon is the same way. You know, the Deschutes has big red bands, um, but then they they just don't migrate to sea, and they also get around a steelhead. So it's it's just one of these weird, um, you know, hard to explain biological phenomenon where at one point, you know, a fish is, is you know, comes out of the gravel as a, a you know, and a, a fry and decides, I like it here or I'm out of here. You know, it's just, yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I never quite get the, the biological transition from, uh, <laughs> You know, like a uh, a migrating fish, the one that just decides to stay landlocked. It's just kind of a, it's an interesting concept for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so it's, and, and the other thing about Idaho, like it seems to me like there's this huge variety in terrain. Like, you know, where, when I picture Idaho, like I fished like from Boise, you know, like into the, um, what do you call it, the Silver uh, Sun Valley kind of area. Uh-huh. And, you know, like I always, and, and also like when you're in those areas, it's easier to go into Oregon and you kind of have this more of a open, high desert kind of feel. Um, but I've also like driven up in, in the northern Idaho and it was like rugged mountains. Is, the, is there like a, a way, is that kind of like accurate or is it like mountains all over the place? How to describe the topography over there? It is such a varied state. Um, you know, where I live, we have sort of a Rocky Mountain topography. Um, and that's kind of true for Eastern and much of Central Idaho. It's, you know, the sawtooths are, you know, one of the most underrated mountain ranges in the in the country in terms of just sheer beauty i think they're teton beautiful you know the tetons are dramatic and stunning and i get the exact same feeling when i look at the sawtooth just just rugged hardcore backcountry and there is good fishing in the sawtooth a lot of it is in um, high mountain lakes that require a bit of a walk but there's some around the town of stanley idaho which is the essentially the top of idaho if you if you you know if you imagine idaho is a giant pyramid Stanley sits right there at the top and all the stuff runs off all the, all the water runs off of Stanley um, or the the sawtooth area, essentially. Um, But then you go North, you know, and you get out of the more rugged mountains, but you're into dense, dense rainforest with, um, you know, Spanish moss. A lot of people call it old man's beard. It kind of hangs off the trees. There's a lot of rain, a lot of, a lot of water, um, it, it could just as well rain during the winter as it would snow. Um, mm. Just big ponderosas, big fir trees and cedar trees. It's uh, It's got a real northwest feel to it. And then southern Idaho, uh, imagine, you know, if you will, just kind of put a picture in your mind of the state of Idaho map in your in your in your brain and just draw a smiley face across the bottom third of the state. And that would be the mm. snake. That would be the Snake River. And the snake is all volcanic basalt cliffs and canyons and very desert, open country. Um, gets warm, gets hot in the summer. Um, this is where, you know, these days the, it's really good smallmouth and largemouth bass fishing in some of the reservoirs. The river itself has become an amazing smallmouth bass fishery. 
Um, also the carp are there. There is some, some trout fishing. Um, you know, it used to be before all the dams went in on the lower snake, um, salmon and steelhead would bump their noses at the base of Shoshone Falls outside of Twin Falls, Idaho. And now that's not a, I mean, that's basically a, a, a bass, catfish, carp kind of fishery. There are some sturgeon, um, God help the guy who hooks the sturgeon on a tenkara rod. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that might be one fish I haven't seen. I started telling people that nowadays you can pretty much Google any fish species in tenkara and you'll find an image. You know, if you Google pike and tenkara, your image is probably the one that comes up first because you were, I believe, the first one to catch it. And uh, But yeah, sturgeon might be one that uh, hasn't happened yet. I, I think it can use a tenkara rod as a tube fly for, for a sturgeon. Well, you know, you if, you, if you hook a small one, you know, 20 inches or so, you might be able to bring that up. But sure. sturgeon get, you know, six, seven feet long. And oh it's, yeah, <laughs> it's like trying to it's like trying to pull a refrigerator off the bottom of the river. It's just not going to happen. So yeah, no, I, I cannot imagine that yeah. working out very yeah. well. Yeah, I'll give them that. And uh, so, and one thing that I'm doing right now, um, you know, I think I think we you painted a beautiful picture. I think to our re, uh, to our listeners here, you know, about the state, and you know, you kind of have to go through it to see all those pieces but you know the desert and then you have these mountains and then the the rainforest and one thing that i just started doing on our uh, blog actually is just talking a little bit about equipment specifically tenkata gear specific for certain areas uh so if you don't mind maybe like you know like i was gonna go to the sawtooth you know national forest um what would you say like might be a good tenkara setup for somebody fishing in the sawtooth, for example? Like well, you'll you'll have to help me out because it's been a while since I've bought and bought or purchased or even reviewed a, ten, a new tenkara rod. I still sure. have my, my old Iwana that I absolutely love, and I use that almost. I think it's got a six ten ratio. I believe. Yeah, six four. Yeah, we kind of stopped talking too much about that. The the flex ratio. Yeah, it's got a yeah moderate, not too flexible, not too stiff. Moderate. Yeah, I, it's kind of a mid flex rod, mm-hmm. and I really like it. Um, I really like it. In fact, it's probably, I bet it's twelve years old, and I I still use it, um, and I really like it. I, I I don't. I guess I just don't really see it for what I, what I use it for. I don't see a need for anything new or different. I would say for small streams throughout the state, and that would be anything from say, you know, like little Moose Creek that I was telling you about to some of those tributaries that run into the snake or the Henry's fork, um, anything, um, in the sawtooth sun Valley area, uh, maybe not for silver Creek because silver Creek has big fish, but in the big wood also big fish, but they're just a little bit easier to wrangle in the big wood river. Um, I would stick with something kind of light to medium weight and light to medium flex. And I would honestly go 11 to 12 feet. Um, and then either go with a, a level line. Um, I've seen a lot of folks lately using lengths of really light, like one weight fly line, um, and, and instead of the, uh, you know, the braid, the braided line that kind of started things out. Um, and I, I, you know, just recently I've kind of become a convert into actually using Tenkara flies. I was 
stubborn in my, you know, Western United States mindset that nothing is going to outfish an Adams. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, you know, those, I know the feeling, I know yeah. the feeling well on that. Yeah. <laughs> we tra- all go through that. The <laughs> traditional, traditional Tenkara flies are, I mean, I don't even know what they look like to the fish, but they look mm-hmm. good and, um, they'll hit them. So I, you know, I wouldn't, I'd be, I'd be somewhat of a generalist. I mean, for the most part, small streams, particularly in the Rockies, uh, you know, a good attractor pattern is as good as anything you've got. And I would stick with that. I no need to go really big or heavy unless you're going to chase bass out of a boat. Um, and you know, 10 car out of a drift boat is a, a whole new level of excitement because oh, you've, got, totally, yeah. you've got a, yeah, you've got a guide that, um, you know, has all the, um, you know, has the net, has the has the oars. Maybe you've got somebody in the rear of the boat, and it, it becomes kind of a circus with somebody who, who can't let me line out. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. No, I think the twelve forty one is a great rod in sawtooth area because it you can cover all kinds of waters from the some of the smaller covered upstreams. You know to some of the slightly bigger lakes, you know, because there's a lot of them. Um, and then, you know, you fish in the Teton and your kids, you know, like your Tenkara fishing there. I always think of the Teton as like bigger water, super open. So when I was there last time in the Teton, I fished the Ito uh, Tenkara rod, which is a, the adjustable 13 foot, 14 foot, 7 inch. Have you ever had a chance to try that? No, no, I've never fished one that, that you can vary the length on. I'd be interested though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll have to hook you up so you can take you to the Teton area. Let us know how you like it. Cause that's, you know, like where you, you can vary a lot, you know, you can go to a lake and you want more reach or you can go to a smaller stream, but it's still open. Um, you know, so that's the impression I got in that area. Is that fair to say? About yeah. The, the Teton kind of area. Yeah. The Teton would be, um, an exception to that rule. You'd want something a little bit bigger. Um, and the nice thing about the Teton is your, ch- you know, chances are you're going to be fishing from a, a watercraft of some sort, whether it's a, you know, a single person pontoon craft or a drift boat or, or whatever. I've even seen people out there lately on stand up paddle boards. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, they don't make those for me. I'm six foot five and 300 pounds. They don't make those for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, um, yeah, the longer rod. Uh, maybe with a little bit more backbone would be mm-hmm. appropriate on the Teton. There are some legitimate big cutthroats in the Teton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, one of the attractive parts of yeah. the area, you know, and then all the people going around the Yellowstone, you know, and the, yeah, the Teton area. It's really, really something uh, to be seen. Well, I, yeah, I think that's a really good overview of the state, you know, for anybody looking at going Tenkara fishing, hopefully, you know, after this, if you live in the state, you know, maybe explore something uh, not too far from you. Uh, but if you're coming from out of state once this whole COVID is kind of uh, blown over, you can take your Tenkara rod and have a lot of fun and, and get Chris Hunt's uh, guide uh, guidebook, Fly Fishing guide to the secret stream so and I, and I meant to ask about that so just a another you know kind of a part of the conversation you know the the, the secret stream part of it you know where sure yeah so it's for clarity i mean it um i only i only actually named about a dozen streams in idaho in that book um, what I really did was kind of give everybody the keys to the castle when it comes to finding these kinds of 
places in Idaho. Um, this this was published in 2014, and uh, you know my to this day my best friend when I go fishing someplace new, um, especially if I'm off the grid, is my Idaho Atlas and Gazetteer. Um, I love to find a blue line on the map and find where it either comes in contact with a road or a trail, and then I go there. And I, I have no idea what I'm going to expect, but if you are able to kind of decipher, you know, this looks a lot like this and this was loaded with wild brook trout, then chances are you're in the same kind of place. But, you know, I can't count the times over the years, especially in Idaho. And I live in the eastern part of Idaho, so for me to get to north Idaho, it's a full day commitment. So when I go and I have my Idaho map with me, um, you know, good example, uh, probably, oh, eight, ten years ago, I was driving over to see some friends who live um, in uh, Orofino, which is on the Clearwater River. The Clearwater is, um, Clearwater flows into the Snake, but the Loxaw and the Selway, they flow into the clear water it's a great steelhead river in the fall when we get fish that make it over all those dams and the lower snake which these days is seldom um but i had my gazetteer with me and i took a turn up the selway and i kept driving up and driving up and then i took a tributary and i kept driving up and driving up and um just following the the blue line on the map and when i got up there i was catching these gorgeous westlow cutthroats that were had good size and they were they were hungry and tinkara was the perfect way to go after them nice yeah and i cannot think of a more rewarding way to catch fish you know like we always say like it's extremely rewarding to catch fish with a fly that you tied yourself but i also think it's extremely rewarding to find fish in a place that you didn't really read about you know like you're not being given the directions to catch fish you're really kind of exploring on your own and finding something that for all you know, maybe nobody's ever fished sometimes. Uh, so that's something special, I think. Yeah, and you and you know, you do get away from the crowds that way. Um, one one great um, example of a, of a river that is full of opportunities like that in North Idaho is the the St. Joe River. It it's stunningly beautiful, and there's road access along a lot of it. But it's you know the little tributaries are phenomenal. Excellent. Well, Chris, it was a real pleasure to catch up a little bit with you again and uh, get a good overview of the state of Idaho from somebody who really seems to know it like the back of your hand and uh, <laughs> learn a little bit more about it. And uh, hopefully people will look up your, you know, your book. And what's the name of your other book again? And uh, So the one that just came out last year is um, uh, it's called Catching Yellowstone's Wild Trout. It's a fly fishing guide and history or history and guide, I should say. And, you know, I live close to Yellowstone. It's not, you know, we have a little tiny sliver of it in Idaho, but most of the park is in Wyoming and a little bit more of the park is in Montana. Um, but Yellowstone is one of those places um, that every diehard trout angler should spend some time exploring. It's And the book that I wrote is, um, you know, it's not so much a traditional guidebook as it is focusing on the natural history of all of the trout, native or otherwise, that are found in the park 
And then I offer up some ideas on where you might catch each one of those species of fish, whether it's, you know, the, the park is reintroducing West Slope cutthroat into its northwest corner. They're also reintroducing a rare native population of Arctic grayling. Um, but the park has Yellowstone cutthroats, has mountain whitefish, it has invasive uh, lake trout, which have caused a real problem in Yellowstone Lake. And then it has browns and rainbows uh, as well. So that's kind of what that book is, is about. It's kind of where to go to catch each of those subspecies of fish. And uh, like I said, it came out last uh, last summer, just in time for the park to be almost all but shut down <laughs> until until recently. But if you're you know if you're planning a trip to Yellowstone um, this year's you know so weird there there's no tour buses allowed this year because of social distancing requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been up into the park a couple of times since opening day, which was at the end of May. And the crowds aren't bad. The fishing on the Firehole River was really good. Um, the Firehole's a great Tenkara stream, by the way, especially if you like to swing soft tackles. Um, I just, I think the, the Yellowstone, Yellowstone Park is, you know, if you're a fly fishing addict and it's something that you're passionate about, you've got to add that to your bucket list. And then the, the first the first book you referred to is called Fly Fishing Idaho's Secret Waters, and it came out in 2014, and it is essentially a how-to with a few where-to places in it. Nice. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Chris. Really appreciate you making the time to talk to us about uh, Yellowstone and Idaho. I got a two-for-one on this episode, so that's cool. <laughs> uh, thanks thanks and, for having uh, me, Daniel. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. And, um, you know, for our listeners, make sure to, you know, check out those books, but also Trout Unlimited, you know, which is Chris's main, uh, main work. We've always advocated that anybody picking up a rod, if you're new to fly fishing, take a look at Trout Unlimited, try to join, because they support the trout habitat and uh, the pro- they have a lot of good projects that we've highlighted in this podcast in the past but uh that, another plug for you and i'll make sure to put a link on the tenkariasa.com forward slash podcast for this episode and until next time on the tenkara cast thanks so much chris thank you daniel As always, I'd like to especially thank Takenobu. Nikogawa, also known as Takenobu, provides a lot of the music that we use on this podcast, as well as a lot of Tenkari USA videos. You can find his music at takenobumusic.com, and this is the song Tokidoki. <laughs> <laughs>